My first question is, you said that you don't take responsibility, but you did disband the White House pandemic office and the officials that were working in that office left this administration abruptly. So what responsibility do you take to that? And the officials that worked in that office said that you that the White House lost valuable time because that office wasn't disbanded. What do you make of that? Well, I just think it's a nasty question. This edition of Calling the Night Boys with me, Gavin. Me, Nick. And our special guest. Oh, right. Me, Matthew. Yes. Well done. That's staying in the edit, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Matt's joining us from the uh, People's Republic of China, I believe. Uh, and where exactly yes. in China are you, Matt? I'm in a city in China that I don't. I don't really want to get too specific because I may say one or two things about China that aren't entirely flattering and I don't want to get booted out of the country. You're not in quarantine anymore, is that right? Uh, this is correct. So everything's sort of locked down at the start of the New Year's Eve holiday, um, which was around January the 23rd. Right. And it started relaxing a bit at the beginning of March. And now it's sort of at the point where it's, yeah, it's quite a lot more relaxed. I should be going back to work on May the 6th. I can tell you what it was like when, when it all started. So, I mean, you could leave the house to sort of go and get food. You know, that was okay. But it was, I think it was for about six weeks. You know, I sort of come over to here to work. So I've been stuck inside this one bedroom flat for six weeks going mad. And I, I didn't cope with that by producing a revolutionary work of, of brilliant literature. I, I coped with it by buying salty snacks and a PlayStation. Well, these, these are both um, important activities, I think. Especially yeah. salty snacks. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm quite fat, but I've got really muscular thumbs. Presumably <laughs> uh, you're, you're extremely hot at... Um, one or more games yeah yeah i mean i have you know i have a very sort of um like reserved niche and useless non-transferable skill in you know a couple of games um what are they Fortnite. uh I've i've been playing red dead redemption which is where you get to be a cowboy i mean to kill you in one minute ned or see you hanged in Fort Smith at Judge Parker's convenience. Which will it be? I call it bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. And I've been playing Metal Gear Solid The Phantom Pain, which is a sort of com- more or less completely incomprehensible Cold War thriller. Now repeat after me. I am not a pleasure unit. 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 Were you allowed out to exercise, Matt? That wasn't really encouraged. Right. I mean, I I was sort of slightly insulated from news because I'm an ignoramus and I don't speak Chinese. Someone came round, like a public health official came round door to door, took down my details, made sure I hadn't been to Hubei recently. Um, I got issued with a card which let me in and out of the apartment 
Um, apparently I had to use it every time I went out. I think the guard in our apartment, and all, all apartment blocks have, have state-appointed guards in them. This is a sort of feature of life in China. Oh, it's not just um, actually, it's like the caretaker of every apartment block also carries a weapon. It's like a security guard. They don't, they don't carry weapons. They, um, I mean, the, what this bloke carries is a sort of, is a sense of having largely given up on life. <laughs> and, and he had absolutely no interest in sort of enforcing the rules at all. They just haven't been enforced. And then, and then about a month later, I found myself going out and there were, there were all these officials downstairs and they said, right, have you got your yellow card? And I said, my, my, my what? You know, after a bit of translation, and uh, and I thought, oh right, of course, yeah, the yellow card that we always need to go in and out, right? Yeah, oh, silly me, you know, because I didn't want to get the guards in trouble. Sure. And uh, <laughs> so I sort of came back upstairs. And I thought, Where the hell did I put that thing? I haven't needed it for a month. But I think in other places, in a lot of other apartments, they were told you can have one person from each household go out once every two days and that's it and only to the shops or the doctors I mean. presumably you've been able to get deliveries if you've uh, ordered a and received a playstation um like yes deliveries. yeah the, mm. but the all of the couriers stopped for a while that all shut down for about a month and it was right, towards okay. the end of that, that that it became possible again it, it's Getting a bit more relaxed now, but for a couple of months, everywhere you went, if you went into a supermarket or if you went into um, if you went into the subway, then you'd have your temperature checked on entry. Um, you had had to wear a mask if you wanted to go out. Mm. Um, and I think I think it's sort of fairly obvious. You know, China hasn't been completely upfront with its statistics i think that might be a bit of a an understatement but um that it got to the point where they managed to stop all the domestic transmission and then people started coming back from europe right mm. at which point the local media started or rather the national media the state-run media started a narrative about god bloody foreigners <laughs> well <laughs> it's bringing the virus over here there has been a lot of uh, racist uh, xenophobia and racism against Chinese, Chinese Americans, British Chinese, or particularly Chinese living in the West over here, apparently. Not that I've seen yeah, I, I've, myself, but yeah. And I mean, to, to be completely fair to these people, they're not actually directly responsible for the machinations of the Chinese communist state. <laughs> I, would presume, I presume that's part of the reason why they're living somewhere other than China. Um, well, I love yeah. the opportunities and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think this is the sort of, like, there was a bit of a, a thing a few years ago when we had all of these dapper Nazis turning up and people said, oh, look, you know, Nazis who appear to have, like, they've, they've got a thesaurus and they know some long words. Isn't this fascinating? Why don't we give them some column inches? What could possibly go wrong? Mm-hmm. But it turns out that actually they are still, you know, racists are just still thick. Yeah. 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 Almost as though it's a precondition for holding those views. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have a point there, Matt. 
it sounds from what you're saying, uh, and obviously we have seen some of this on the news, but um, that there are certain respects in which like, China's just got it right on dealing with um, the virus, even if the initial response was kind of, uh, nothing to see here. Uh, yeah, well, when they locked down, it was full on. I mean, there wasn't any of this sort of, you know, there was no sort of like angst ridden sort of like, oh God, you know, civil liberties in one hand, everybody dying from plague in the other. It was just, right, we're locking everything down, stay at home, shut up. <laughs> you want you want to mess with us with a Chinese state? Shut up. But the, there are things which sort of lend themselves in China to this, like in the cities, everyone lives in a tower block and all the tower blocks have state appointed guards in um sort of guarding the lobby letting you in and out right so locking things down is sort of made easier by that i think yeah yeah uh, i guess so um and things like you say you can go out to buy food and stuff but i'm guessing apart from grocery shops and supermarkets there's not not a lot else that's been open well, no, I mean, they, they ordered all of the bars and restaurants closed. Um, they ordered all the tourist places closed. They said people can't go into work. I mean, I went into work last week and I had to sort of, I have an app, a contact tracing app that I'm registered with. And I had to sort of scan a QR code to show, you know, presumably where my phone has been and therefore where I've been. Yeah. Sort of you know, in the past few weeks, and it came up with a green light and I was allowed in. Um, Don't they have that in South Korea as well? This app technology or whatever, highly surveillance? I I don't know. I I mean, I understand they've been doing contact tracing. Mm. And that is one thing that I think China has done right. Right. And that Britain just, we'd have to get Capita to do it and then it would just be a disaster. (laughs) You know, it'd probably probably kill more people than it would save if you Mm. gave it to those guys. It would also cost three times as much as uh, if you just let the government do it. Yeah. yeah. Do, you mem- do you remember when Capita did the security for the 2012 Olympics? Yeah. <laughs> and they had to call in the army. That's right. I mean, yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> they, they keep giving them contracts. It's like, I don't know. It's, it is a magic money tree for them, I suppose. No, Nick. Um, the, the commercial world does things more effectively, more efficiently, and more <laughs> cost effectively. Yes. I mean, we know this by now. Yes, that's true. Look at Serco. And we're probably going to get onto this later, but um, it does make me wonder if uh, this current situation in the UK is um, is going to put an end to all of those white elephants like HS2 and uh, the third runway at Heathrow. And people think, oh, hang on, we're wasting money on, th- on stuff that we really don't need. Whereas mm. we don't have PPE for medical staff during a crisis. Uh, but I suspect not. It would be nice to think that it, it did have a sort of positive effect on... I mean, things uh, change... Sorry, carry on. I was just saying that I think thing, you know, things are changing daily, but I think HS2 is still going ahead. Yeah. Uh, there was something in the paper about it the other day that people were annoyed that they were saying, yeah, no... Well, thing is, when, you, when you can't travel uh, anywhere in England, it's quite important that you can't travel to somewhere 20 minutes faster i think <laughs> yeah I, I i can't get to leeds 20 minutes uh more quickly than if uh, we didn't have hs2 which is important to know i think absolutely when you can't absolutely i think it's 
I think it's probably going to go the other way. I don't think we're going to see a great liberation. I think all of the sort of high Tories who have gone away to sort of live in their nice sort of detached manses in the, out in the shires have spent the past few weeks reflecting on the fact that they haven't actually had to look at anyone from the lower orders. Right. And they'll think this is brilliant, you know, Apart haven't had to put up with their... With a what, sorry? Apart from charming rustic types. Yeah, which... yeah, who know their place, which, yeah. so that's okay. But, you know, these sort of jumped up people who, with the awful sort of vowel sounds and, you know, who say toilet instead of lavatory and, <laughs> and who have ideas above their station they'll be thinking, well, you know, we haven't had to deal with these guys, so maybe reopen the mines. Right. Know? Reopen the mines, because that keeps them away from our view, doesn't it? You know, if they're all underground. Sure. Well, and then seal up the mines, is that what you're saying? Kind of seal them off by very clever town planning. <laughs> and, the de- and the sort of structural denial of opportunity. The yeah, dual character that sort of ends anywhere near civilization. And you just kind of, you hit a patch of dirt. It just peters out into an empty field and it's like, hold on, we can't actually drive to anywhere else in the UK. That's almost a good sci-fi premise along the sort of Truman Show lines. Starring Charlton Heston, Ava Gardner, George Kennedy, Lauren Green, Genevieve Bougeau, Richard Roundtree, plus the city of Los Angeles and its millions of people. Earthquake. You feel it as well as see it. In Sensoround, rated PG. That, I mean, we, we were sort of talking about disaster movies when we were, we were talking about this podcast. And I think it is a thing about this, this sort of crisis that if you, if you pitched what's happened as a script to a film studio, the film studio would just say, oh, come off it, you know. <laughs> Joking. Like a country mm. like Britain, it had a plan, but then it didn't implement it. Mm. And then the prime minister went on television and said, yeah, I've been shaking hands with loads of diseased people. I'm fine. Oh, no, I'm going to die. And then the president of the United States says, mm, I don't know, maybe we should be injecting bleach. And then it all, en- and then it all ends with, the, with Britain sort of saying, well, we haven't had any time to negotiate Brexit, but we're going to do it out of sheer bloody-mindedness anyway. Mm. That seems to be the policy, doesn't it? A, yeah. friend, a friend and I were discussing that thing about Johnson shaking hands with people and then getting COVID. And we thought maybe it was like his Princess Diana moment. He was trying to do a Princess Diana moment, like when she went around cuddling people who had AIDS back in the day. But then he didn't realise that COVID is, is transmitted quite differently. Than, than HIV. So I'm then, more than happy for him to walk uh, walk through a few minefields, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. To highlight the whole issue of discarded munitions. Yeah. But then we thought that maybe he was actually having sex with all these people as well as shaking hands with them, because he does that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> going to be a whole load of paternity cases coming yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, he just clambered on top of them and started, you know, away he went, you know. But, um, it's just a one-man baby boom, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, he's got one coming up quite soon, isn't he? Right. So you've been doing internet lessons, is that right, Matt? I think yes. you did say that. Yes, I've been teaching online. Sort of saved my sanity, yeah. having something to actually do. And But now you're actually going back into the office now, is that right? Oh, well, I mean, I, I'm not going... So I've been back into the office once or twice just to sort out bits of admin. But oh, right. um, I'm not going back properly we're not actually allowed to teach children until may the 6th that's you know the last week in january 
February, March, April, and the first week in May. You know, yeah. three and a half months. Yeah, of not being in, you know, doing the yeah. job properly. Do you think the WHO has been too credulous of China? I think they're they're sort of they're in a bit of a weird position. As far as I understand it, they own, they get data from countries and then they report that. Mm. It's not like they have their staff on the ground in every country in yeah. their WHO uniform <laughs> doing the business in hospitals. Yeah. You know, so so I think that I think there's probably only so much that they can do. They were sort of repeating Chinese messages which weren't true. Mm. I mean, in, in the middle of January, they said that. They, there was not yet any clear evidence of person-to-person transmission. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, so they haven't covered themselves in glory. I mean, I don't think it means they should be defunded because for their imperfections, they're a lifeline to poor countries. You stop yeah. funding them and these poor countries, you, you know, you just get loads of people dying because they're not getting the support. But Yeah, but the thing is, Matt, is that a journalist was criticising Donald Trump's handling of the crisis, so he decided to lash out at the nearest object, which happened to be the World Health Organisation. Right. So, you know. So it's the journalist's fault, really. It's the journalist's fault, yeah, for asking difficult questions, yeah. I was going to say, I've much preferred journalism in the 50s when they would uh, just ask questions politely. (laughs) <laughs> and then follow it up if the whatever politician declined to answer. Mm. You know, a bit more respect for authority. Yes, exactly. So are you saying, in effect, Minister, that everything will be all right and we have absolutely nothing to worry about? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> well, that wraps that up. <laughs> Contrasting that with Europe and the rest of the world, we've really not covered ourselves in glory in this country. And it's obviously, it's, you know, it's a bit ridiculous when... A country as rich as ours is unable to produce basic items like face masks. But I do think maybe there's a link to draw between like this is a total failure of populist government in kind of responding to a crisis. All of the countries where there's been quite a notable swing towards populist administrations, they've been utterly inept at both contingency planning and also crisis management. Uh, yeah. in the US or, or here or Italy, for example. Um, although I think there's other sort of underlying issues in Italy to do with the sort of divide between North and South. But yeah, pop- this is just not a good advert for populism. But at the same time, you sort of feel like if all of the populist governments that managed to stagger through this crisis without, um, <clears throat> without the economy collapsing completely... Are people just going to say, oh, actually, they did all right? Or are people going to kind of be annoyed and say, we need to get these people out because they're inept? I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, I mean, I've I've already run into people saying, yeah, but, you know, you should just be positive, shouldn't you? Yeah. Now's, now isn't the time to question. And it's like, well, hold on, hold on a minute. Like, we've got people dying in their droves. It is not inconceivable that we might be doing things better, maybe now is the time to criticise. I mean, when, when all of that herd immunity stuff came out, people were outraged and the government sort of went, oh, yeah, no, we were never, we never thought that was a serious idea. But Boris Johnson went on television and said that that's what they were talking about. Yeah, no, but that wasn't policy. It wasn't policy. He was just, he was kind of... He was on, he he was, was on this morning, the, the TV programme. Uh, yeah. And he, and he said it was one of the ideas that they're considering. 
So he didn't say this is exactly what we're going to do. So that's what they say to justify mm. that that wasn't that, the plan. This sort of lunatic idea should even be floated as a possibility, mm. Mm. as a sort of you know testing it, testing the waters. I wonder, how, I wonder how people will respond if we take an idea that is supposed to be applied to vaccines. So you get herd immunity by giving people a little dose and they feel a little bit poorly for a day or two and then they're okay. But replacing the little bit poorly for a day or two and then feeling okay with more, you know, dying. Yeah. It shouldn't uh, quite how that, you know, for me, it isn't a question of, well, you know, how far sort of down the policy track were they in terms of implementing it? It's the fact that the moment it was raised behind doors, people didn't say it what that's mad well i'm sorry if people feel that there have been failings i'll be very very clear about that i think matt's hit on two things that are um are really kind of notable about uh, the whole experience certainly here one is that thing of kind of groupthink um at a government level where you know sensible ideas are raised and people are like um yeah no this is great because everyone else is saying it's great, so it must be great. Mm. And then that sort of thing of the general public going, well, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. The naive optimist in me says that uh, when this gets back to some sort of level of norm- normality, both here and in China and globally, that people are just going to be really, really annoyed and wanting answers. But we won't be, um, because we'll be able to go to be able to go back to ikea and um and uh just sort of refurbish our homes again so like all be good with the world i guess that's my cynicism tells me you look at the lack of outrage about um edward snowden lack of outrage on the panama papers all that sort of thing but those are those are more abstract for most people yeah. i think uh, whereas this is very, very real, you know, even if you don't know someone who's been very ill or died from coronavirus, we have all been locked down and therefore um, you have a real awareness of there being something serious going on. Mm. Uh, but I just think it's astonishing how, how quickly people are able to get back to normal and forget stuff that should make them outraged. Yeah. I think the problem is, is it comes down to people having to say, that bloke I voted for, actually, I was wrong about that. Mm, yes. You know, he was an idiot. Yes. And people just don't like having to do that. Yeah. No. So Any of us do, really. Nick, I'm really curious about your, uh, your quiz. Is there actually a quiz? There a is quiz. a quiz. <laughs> Something I rustled up last night. Okay, so who said that the week beginning 30th March that their country would have a non-working week, a week that has been extended at least until the end of April? But he wouldn't say it was lockdown. He'd just say, you're all going to have a non-working week. Was that Johnson? No. Trump? No, it's uh, Putin. Oh, okay. Who said, it's one person coming from China and we have it under control. Oh, that is Trump. Yeah, yeah. That's January the 22nd, the day before the first US case. Who said this? I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. Oh, that's a tricky one. Uh, was yeah, it I'm not sure. Angela Merkel? No, it's Trump again, March 17th. Oh, really? Yeah. So in January 22nd, he said it's fine, everything's fine. And March 17th, he said, I knew it was pandemic before it was called a pandemic. Oh, yes, of course. Because he, he does actually know everything. Yeah. 
So which country's media has stated several times before and since the, uh, before and since the virus that the USA has a secret biological weapons testing lab in Georgia, that's Georgia, USA, and that COVID-19 sprang from there? This is, a, this is the position of a nation state. A nation's media. Is this Russia? It is Russia. It's the Voronya program. And on their channel one, so that's like the BBC one, uh, they said the virus was designed to affect only East Asian people, such as Chinese people, and was an <coughs> ethnic wow. bioweapon. Which country picked up that story from Russian media? The UK? Uh, no, it was China. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so <laughs> the Chinese foreign ministry spokesman retweeted a bogus Russian article on that entitled COVID-19 further evidence that the virus originated in the US. Oh right, evidence. His retweet on the 13th of March was engaged with 45,000 times. Who accused China of creating the virus in a lab in Wuhan and then seeding it to the city's populations and sticking them on planes and sending them around the world? <laughs> right, so just to get this straight, the idea is that China comes up with a bioweapon and they say, hey, you know what? Why don't we release it in one of our own cities first? <laughs> That'll be cunning. Yeah, We'll yeah. just unleash it on our own city and then we'll, we'll move from that point. Was it, was it visionary thinker Alex Jones? <laughs> it might well have been. It was someone on Fox News, Peter Navarro, who is an advisor to Trump, and policy coordinator for the Defense Production Act. What? That, that's a Korean War Act designed to give the president the power to order up products, block pro exports, and requisition products such as PPE from US overseas subsidiaries. Uh, and he accuses China of releasing the virus so it can profit from medical supplies and PPE supplies. So wow. that's. That's the guy in charge of like, you know, like um, little labs in this country, which hasn't gone very well until recently, where they were trying to get all the little labs to do a joint effort to find a, a vaccine. Right. That's, that's the guy in charge of it. He's trying to excuse the fact that he's shit at his job. And it sort of makes me wonder whether one of the, you know, we sort of talk about, is the world going to be different after this? And it's sort of conjures the thought that maybe America will make screenings of Red Dawn mandatory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Following this, exactly. the Chinese exactly. invasion of Middle America. Yeah. Only Patrick Swayze and a ragtag group of teenagers can stop them. Yeah. Matt, RPG. <laughs> yeah. Now, what do you think? Not bad for a bunch of kids, huh? Mom would be real proud. Can I show you this video? Yeah, of course, yeah. But this is this uh, YouTube video I was talking about uh, by someone called Microsoft Sam. So this is called Every COVID-19 Commercial is Exactly the Same. When we first opened our doors. Since 1926. Since 1978. For 60 years. For 75 years. For over 80 years. In 90 years. Over 100 years. Nationwide has been on your side. Restaurants have always been there for you. Nissan has been with you through thick and thin. We will do what we've always done. Take care of people. We're people. 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 Family. 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 Families. 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 Even now. Especially now. Especially now. Right now. Now more than ever. More than ever. Today. More than ever. Today. 
more than ever. In times like this. At times like these. During these difficult times. In these troubled times. Challenging times. Trying times. In these times of uncertainty. During this time of great uncertainty. During these uncertain times. During these uncertain times. In uncertain times. In uncertain times. Uncertain times. Unprecedented times. Unprecedented times. Unprecedented times. This unprecedented. I think I've got the idea. Okay, it goes on quite long. It's driving you mad. Yeah, all right. I'm safe. I tell you what, though. Stay apart. Oh, that's the key. It's still going. It's still fucking going. But they all have this kind of uh, twinkly piano, which is just awful. And safety of your home. It's um, it's like the kind of sad cello you get in uh, TV dramas or movies, which indicates yeah. that this is a really somber, sad moment. Yeah. I, I thought some of it sounded like elevator music in that advert we have. We just yeah. saw. So it makes me wonder, like, the big social change that's going to come after this is elevator music. It's really going to take off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it would be jarring if they had a coronavirus video and it was, like, you know, beautiful young people in a sort of, like, you know, a sort of roofless Cadillac heading to the beach. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Come on! You know, well, like all those people heading out on spring break going, yeah, coronavirus, but, you know, I want to have a good time. Spring break. <laughs> yes, mm. yeah, that's right, yeah. If I get corona, I get corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. You know, I've been waiting. We've been waiting for Miami spring break for a while. About two months we've had this trip planned. Two, three months. So we're just not even having a good time. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah. I suppose there's a, like, there's a limited um, palette of cliches to draw on. Mm. Yeah. I think that's right. What's interesting but, is the way that it, it constantly reasserts family and that sort of thing. The, the ideology is, intemp- is intensified by crisis, not lessened. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit like we were talking earlier about, yeah. you, know, you were talking earlier about how people will probably go back and say, oh yeah, it was bad, but you know, it's fine. You know, Johnson or Trump or Bolsonaro did a great job, you know. I mean, I think the thing is that, obviously that video makes the point that all of these ads are very very similar but it also highlights the fact that like ads are still the same (laughs) and they're still pulling on as matt said the same kind of uh small pool of cliches in order Mm. to get your attention but nonetheless still able to uh generate you know revenue Mm. by um tugging on your sort of uh sense of vulnerability or community, or whatever it is that the coronavirus brings out in you. Mm. I, I suppose there's like less room for the kind of fun Mickey taking advert. It's like, are you stuck at home with home with your family? Fucking awful, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you can't do that. They have to say, "Oh, family, we all love family." Because yeah. people are thinking, "Shit, what if my family dies?" Oh God! I'd like there to be a tango. I admit that I find all of them annoying. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, I think the next wave of coronavirus-related adverts will have the cello instead of the piano. It'll yeah. be the sad, sad remembering people who've uh, died or been ill um, sort of wave of coronavirus adverts. Like, like at the Oscars. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. People yes, lost in last like, year. And like, probably the trombone isn't going to make an appearance. The sexy, smoky saxophone. (laughs) 
What a great well, idea. The, nah, mate. The 80s advert saxophone. Yeah. Yeah. It sounded vaguely pornographic, yeah. yeah. Shirt undone to the waist, staring out of the, uh, the blinds. It would be yeah. blinds with a sort of blue light coming through yeah. into the smoky room. I mean, I had I had thought like there was a sort of product product idea I had a few years ago, which I think I might have talked to you about, Nick. That I think maybe you know the time for it is now. Maybe China's the market because, like in China, you've got I think possibly because like they start dating a lot later. Like dating in school that isn't really allowed. Right. Right. Okay, that's frowned upon by most people. It's quite conservative, like that. And you, you, you sort of often see sort of couples who are wearing his and hers outfits. Which is, you know, it's a little bit twee. Yeah. But it's quite common, quite common to see. But it, the idea I had a while ago was for these things called friendship suits. And what you do is, in order to express your friendship for someone else, you get them to make a 3D scan of themselves and then you get a 3D printer to sort of print out a kind of latex suit <laughs> of them. And then you wear the suit of your friend in order to express your affinity for them and your friendship for them. And I thought, you know, in times like this, when we're all sort of, you know, a bit yeah. more alienated and estranged from our friends, you could wear these and, you know, it would help also sort of contain it would help you from breathing on people. Right. In a, in a sort of, in a, you know, you could have a sort of filter built in. You could make that a thing. Friendship PPE. Exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think that's the marketing nailed right there. What I love about um, that whole pitch is that you use the phrase in times like these as well, which is... Uh... <laughs> in times like these. <laughs> yeah. Who hasn't wanted to make a latex replica of one of their best friends and then climb inside of it in order to escape the crippling isolation and alienation we all feel? I think you might be on something there, Matt. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was Thanks. Lucky when, uh, when onesies started appearing in all, in all the shops and people started wearing them uh, yeah. as, as their sort of daily clothing. So well, that's I, it. I mean, we're halfway there. Mm. Sure. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I do think in extraordinary times like these, mm. you know, maybe we need some extraordinary products. Mm. Sure, when we need to be closer to family and friends mm. and family. It, and how better to be closer to your family than by taking a 3D scan of them, making a latex suit out of them, and then climbing into it. I totally it's agree. It's like these, you all need to feel closer to each other by yeah. looking like each other. Yeah. By what, sorry? By looking like each other. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said by liking each other. I was going to say, I mean, that would take, that would take a bit more technology, I think. But... <laughs> yeah, good call, Matt. I think, yeah. um, it's I think we've, we found an upside. Yeah. Every silver yeah, line. Then you could have the videos of like the happy young people sat in the back of the Cadillac with their arms in the air. You could, Listening yeah. to Belinda Carlisle as they head to the beach. <laughs> kind of like, a scanner darkly, but gone, gone a bit sideways. <clears throat> we could actually cycle. Th we could have soups that cycle through the friends, the the faces of our friends and family. 
just constantly. Oh, uh, yeah. They, so taking like, Matt's friend to the stage further. Well, they're like LED suits that project, that produce the faces of your loved ones. Sure. On your own face. Yeah, just on a con constant rolling kind of cycle. On a sort of facial tabula rasa. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so sometimes you just turn it off and there's just this blank there. You know. Yeah, like yeah. static, like an like a old cathode ray TV screen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, when, <laughs> in the days when we actually had periods of no, no broadcasting. Yeah. Yeah, when we didn't have any entertainment. Mm. We just had to sit in the darkness. Well, I, th I think we've, we've addressed uh, the next point, which is uh, the best thing to do while staying at home. In Matt's case, it's inventing a people suit. A little bit like the serial killer out of Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. come on, it's nothing like that. Yeah. Apart from a few superficial ways in which it's identical to it. But, I mean, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't got... Well, actually, I was going to say it hasn't got the, the sort of weird psychosexual element to it, but I think maybe, actually, on reflection, it has... Oh, I just have yeah, so, okay, so avoid the whole sort of abducting people and all yeah. that side of it, and then this idea is completely fine and nothing nothing sort of exactly. no creepy side to it. It rubs the lotion on its skin. It does this whenever it's told. Darling, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. Little darling, it feels like years since it's been here. So do you think um, we're going to return to normal soon enough? Things are returning to normal for you, aren't they, Matt? And what is normal? They will are. The, will the Absolutely. world change? I, you know, it'd be nice if it did. Well, I mean, it depends, you know. I mean, I, I sort of always thought it'd be nice if the world changed and then Brexit happened. And I sort of thought, not like that, Becky, you know. Yeah. I didn't mean in that kind of way. I, oh, don't okay. know I can't believe you Ramonas are going on about Brexit again. I know, I know, it's so boring, isn't it? But it is It is going to be, like, once this is all over at the end of the year, it's going to, or when it's possibly even still going on at the end of the year, I think it's going to be quite big news. Yeah. I know, yeah. I think there'll be, there'll be some unfortunate consequences. Not so much on the Brexit issue, but in the issue of, like, whether people in general will uh, change mm. their way, their behaviour... Um, when things get back to normal a bit. I think there's a kind of salutary lesson from uh, the pattern of panic buying from, um, from the supermarkets. Mm. Uh, it started off and it was all kind of toilet roll and tinned goods and um, just stuff that you'd have in your bunker. Mm. Um, and then it kind of moved on to bread, flour and eggs and stuff and everybody discovered their creative side and remembered that they could bake. Um, and rather than just watching Bake Off, they thought they'd actually do it at home. Mm. Uh, and now it seems to have shifted into sun loungers, from what I can tell. Is that right? And weight, and weight benches. <laughs> really? Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I, yeah, I noticed that the flour, all the flour had gone from the supermarket. Um, but I didn't know about the sun lounges. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, because everybody's remembered. Oh, I've got I've got a bread maker 
shoved away in a cupboard somewhere. Um, and then it was all flour and eggs especially. And it just seems like everybody has sort of gone into baking mode, whether it's baking bread or baking cakes. But It reminds me of a story a friend of mine told me, this Lithuanian friend of mine called Reggie. And he said that um, his grandmother always had a cupboard that was filled with bags of sugar. Like at all times, there would be a cupboard that would have, you know, a good number of bags of sugar in it. Mm. And he'd sort of grown up knowing that this was the case. Granny has lots a cupboard with lots of sugar in it and thought, just thought that's pretty eccentric. You know, it's pretty, pretty strange, really. But one day he actually, he said, you know, Granny, why, why have you got so many bags of sugar? And she said, well, um, I've lived through several periods of famine in my life, you know, through war or through maladministration. And during times of famine, sugar is a currency. Mm. So I make sure I always have currency in my, um, in my cupboard. But it sounds like in Britain it might be some just. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, mean, I think I think like one thing that's that's sort of happened as a result of all of this is that there's been like the confidence in international institutions, NGOs, has been degraded. Mm, right. And I mean it's partly because, you know, the WHO has made some errors and partly because we've got populist governments who are they consider NGOs to be anathema because they're you know, they're restrictions on what they can get away with. I do wonder if um, Brexiteers will stop banging on about uh, WTO rules, though. I don't know if the WTO will get lumped in with every other uh, sort of uh, global political organisation that's been discredited. Have you ever asked a Brexiter to tell you what WTO rules no, are? No, I've always wanted to, but I've never had the opportunity. Yeah, I've, I've given it a go. I haven't had any answers yet. <laughs> It'd be like the, uh, the guy in New Zealand who... Uh, who was, uh, I think, a Liberal Party candidate, or he might have even been a politician rather than uh, an aspiring politician, who kept going on about uh, how they got this six-point plan, uh, but you've just got to stop the boats. You've got to stop the immigrants coming here. You've got to stop the boats. And the interviewer, I don't know whether any of you have seen this, and the interviewer keeps going... So uh, this six-point plan, what, what are the other uh, five points? Uh, you just got to stop the boats, mate. Um, <laughs> and the interview's like, yeah, and the five, the six-point plan, what are the other five points? Just got, you, you, no, I've told you already, you've just got to stop the boats. So yeah. the other five points then are also you've got to stop the boats? I think so, yeah. <laughs> or they're, thing, they're nice. things that involve more than one sentence to describe, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The tricky stuff. It wasn't New Zealand, it was Australia. Big pardon. Who could possibly have known that if you're going to say you've got a six-point plan, people would want more than one point? Well, exactly. I mean, you have to be quite far-sighted, I think, to think beyond the, the, the first point. I think, I think it's all well and good for us um, smug, also liberals, but in a different meaning of the word. Yeah, very different. Um, would... You know, we, with the benefit of hindsight, we can say, yeah, if you've got a six-point plan, maybe you should know what the other five points are. That's just the sort of response I'd expect from a smug uh, metropolitan, metropolitan elitist like you, Matt. Oh, uh, I miss the old times. If this virus 
were a physical assailant, an unexpected and invisible mugger, which I can tell you from personal experience it is, then this is the moment when we have begun together to wrestle it to the floor. In, in respect of this idea that things are going to change, a lot of our press don't really seem to be holding, they don't seem to be doing that thing where they, they're supposed to speak truth to power. Mm. Yeah. And they, they, they go to these, like I've seen some of the government daily briefings, and they're just a farce. You know, you've got these journalists, they'll ask about five questions. And so the minister gets to answer the one they like and waffle on about that and then give the appearance that there aren't, you know, it's like, ask one question. Mm. And the next journalist, if the minister doesn't answer that question, should ask the same question. Mm. Hold their feet to the fire. So, in, you know, and I think that, you know, if there is going to be some kind of change, it will require the press to play an active role. Yeah. I just, I'm just not sure that they will. I mean, the, that press briefing where Pretty Patel said, and I have the quote here, um, as of 9am today, there have been 300,034, 974,000 tests carried out across the UK. <laughs> and the, the thing, like, it was really weird because I thought, looking at it, I thought that she sort of got to the end of that sentence and she thought, oh shit, I got that wrong. Yeah. But she didn't say it. She wouldn't say, oh, sorry, I, you know, these yeah. are extraordinary times. I'm a bit stressed out by everything. Presumably she meant to say 334,974, but, but she didn't. She, she, she gave a figure which... Um, I think has a total of 14 digits in it. Right. Which is just a very rigorous testing approach. <laughs> and yeah. I think maybe, maybe if we replace, you know, some of the journalists with some absolutely terrifying cockneys. <laughs> yeah. Like really, yeah. you know, like blokes with names like Vern, who've got yeah. you know, sovereigns yeah. and, exactly. and, and, and bull necks. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, get 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 the politicians to actually spill the beans. <laughs> a journalistic style that says, well, I think you should answer the question because things break, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then standing uncomfortably close to them. Yeah. Alluding to things that might go wrong without uh, suggesting for a second that you might be responsible for them going wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think we both know what we're talking about here. <laughs> <laughs> I, was at a, I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were, a few, there were actually a few coronavirus uh, patients and I shook hands with everybody, uh, you'll be pleased to know, and, and I continue to shake hands. In the quiet words of the Virgin Mary, come again. been listening to Call in the Night Boys with Gavin, Nick and special guest Matt. This episode contains excerpts from news reports, 
from organisations such as CBS, ABC and the BBC. You can find all these on YouTube. It also contains excerpts from Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, True Grit by Henry Hathaway, Our Man Flint by Daniel Mann, Earthquake by Mark Robson, The Bullseye Theme by John Patrick, Red Dawn by John Milius, Every COVID-19 Commercial is the Same by Microsoft Sam, The Flake Song by Ronnie Bond, The Silence of the Lambs by Jonathan Demme, Here Comes the Sun by George Harrison, Olay's House Remix, Snatch by Guy Ritchie and Que Gione Insieme Te which means Those Days With You by Ornella Venoni. Please legally stream or download or buy on physical copy any of these bits of music and film. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time. Bye!